Welcome back to Meredith with a Y. Today I have one of the most amazing guests here talking about being trafficked. And I'm going to give a very serious and strenuous warning, a trigger warning for abuse, both physical, mental, emotional, and sexual. If this is not in line with something that you want to or are able to listen today, I strenuously suggest that you stop the podcast now because we are going to be talking about a whole ton of stuff. So stay with us today and just know that there is a trigger warning. Hello, everyone. This is Meredith with a Y, and I am your host, Meredith Willits. Today, we are going to go deep, changing lives, and I am giving you the keys to the castle. Renee, thank you so much for being here today with me. I so appreciate you being here to share your story. Thank you for having me. I'm nervous, but very excited to be here. Well, don't be nervous because this is going to be just our time spending together and you're in a safe place. And I just hold you in my heart today that we can get through this together so that if there are other people out there, that there is a, there's a future for them. And you're a very amazing example of someone that has been trafficked, who has made a future for themselves, who has made another story for themselves. Thank you. It's been, I mean, I, uh, it's been a journey. I mean, I've gone through my highs and lows, but I've, I feel like I'm coming out on top and healing is, it's not linear by any means. It's a freaking roller coaster. But the last couple of years have been really, really intentional about it. And uh, I feel like the next like step is sharing my story and being public with it because I don't see a lot of survivors doing that. And I think it's important for the public to know, you know, this is what happens. This does happen even more so for, you know, mental health providers and doctors and stuff to know what to look for and watch out for. Yeah. Cause I mean, I think when, for myself, what I think of when I see the word sex trafficking, right. So where they're starting to put billboards up in big cities you imagine maybe a 16-year-old, a runaway that has got herself into a pickle. Maybe she's been abducted and now she's being trafficked. You think of the Super Bowl where you, you know, we saw the awareness of the Super Bowl and mm-hmm. you know that there's trafficking going on. But this happened by your adoptive, you were adopted. Yes. And this trafficking was done to you by your adoptive father. That's correct. Yep. And when did this, so you, you were adopted what, at a baby where you were adopted as a young child? Yep. I think I was like three days old when they took me home. Okay. And then when, when did things start to go awry? When did you start your earliest memory, I guess, would be what age that this was happening or do you know? My earliest memory was I was under one years old. And the thing with my memories is when I'm younger, like under two ish, Mm -hmm. uh, my memories are in like a still frame, like a picture. And then as I get older, uh, my memories are more like a video, but I do have memories like being in my crib, being inappropriately touched by my dad and the men that he would bring into our home. And so when did, 
so this was not only done by him, but he also, and that's, is that the word where the word trafficking comes in, where people from outside, it's not like you were just being molested by your father. He's actually bringing in other adults to partake in this abuse as well. Right. Yeah. A lot of every day it was at least my dad abusing me, but it was also people that he brought in. He, he referred to them as clients and that's what I refer to them as too. I mean, mm. could call yeah. them other things, but right. Right. <laughs> is... and was your mother as far as, as, as you knew at the time or looking back, did your mom, did she partake in this? Was she aware of this? Did she set like, how did she, what was her part in this? I have very few memories of her prior to my parents getting divorced. And those memories of her are like me being in a room, being raped or abused and her walking by like the doorway and she would stop and look and sometimes shut the door, sometimes just walk on. So she knew what was going on inside of our home. I just recently found out like to what extent she, she did know what was going on inside and outside of our home. Yeah. And, and we will get into that as to what's going on there and how you figured that part out. But, and so looking back, what did this only take part, uh, take place in your home? Were these other relatives? Were they strangers? How, when did all of, how did all of this happen? Cause I mean, eventually you had to go to school. You had to be, you know, physically in front of teachers and friends. You had friends come over. How did that take, like, how did that work out? Did you have siblings? I should ask, you know, if they were abused. I did not have any siblings in my adopted family. As far as where it happened when I was younger, um, like baby toddler age, most of it was in our home. After that, it was in other people's houses in our, in our community and hotels in like all over Nebraska and like surrounding states, sometimes we would travel. It's kind of all over. So when I'm, when I'm kind of in that space of, okay, I am a child, I am being repeatedly raped. Can I ask you, do you think that this is normal? Do you know that this is not supposed to happen? Have you completely detached at this point to allow yourself survival? I didn't know until I was uh, like late elementary school, roughly, that what my dad was doing was wrong, like that it wasn't happening to like my friends. I was constantly told like, you know, we don't talk about this, this, you know, only families talk about this with families. And so I never, I mean, it never occurred to me to like ask my classmate, like, hey, does this go on at your house? But I didn't, I mean, after I realized what was going on didn't happen to everybody and wasn't normal, it was a lot harder to accept what was happening because I knew how wrong it was then. Like as a kid, I I obviously knew like that, that what was being done to me hurt, but my dad was also the one who bathed me and clothed me and fed me. So it was hard to, you know, compute like this person loves me, but they're also hurting me. So it took a while for that to really like mix in my brain and understand that what was going on was wrong. And it took me a really long time to 
like I sometimes even now have to remind myself that like, Hey, being raped every day is not normal. Why is that? Because that was my life for over a decade was being raped every day. And that was my normal. So the pattern, the pattern is just as difficult to break, even with the education of knowing, right? even with how horrible it was, there's still a transition that has to take place on a daily basis of recognizing. Do you rec- do you have to recognize I'm safe now or do you feel that you're safe now? Yes, I do feel that I'm safe okay. now. It's not so much like, and in- I intentionally have to tell myself every day now that, you know, Hey, you know, being raped every day is, you know, not normal. I mean, I know that, like, I logically know that, but yeah. the logic and the emotion, they're two separate, you know, pieces. And I was in an abusive marriage for about eight years where I was also being raped. And it was real easy for my mind to go back into, okay, this is normal. Like, this is okay. Instead of trying to get away from it. Yeah. When you hear about like extreme abuse like this, a lot of times that, you know, what goes hand in hand with that is like a dissociative uh, where your mind goes someplace else or split personality or something that takes over so that you like exit your body, if you will, so that you can go through the physical abuse. Do you think that that happened to you? Do you know that that happened to you? Any of that? No, it did not happen. I, have excellent memory recall, like where I can remember what faces looked like, like if there was wallpaper on the wall or the color of the carpet before I moved out of Omaha, there were some places I could really see like the outside of the house and see the address. And I wrote them all down and I was like, I wonder if I can still get to these places. And a few of them I could. Wow. That's how much I remember. And it's a blessing and a curse to be able to remember as much detail as I remember. As you say that, it's interesting because one of the things we talked about in the pre-interview, because you have been in therapy for years, is that your therapist had talked to you about the fact that most people, and I'm going to say a really high percentage, just from my opinion, my very (laughs) uninformed opinion is very high that people that have gone through this do not survive. They either overdose, they die, they commit suicide, whatever it is. And so it's so interesting that when I work with people just in general, right? Not to this extent. And we talk about like, when you stuff it down, it still lives inside of you. And so the fact that you were present, you weren't stuffing it down or you weren't like kind of putting it someplace in your body. Do you think that that, awareness of actually walking through it as awful and as horrific and as everything as it was, it's still something that you walked through versus stuffing down and then abusing yourself again through drugs or whatever. I think the, I think I would lose my mind if I couldn't remember what happened. Like if I knew something happened and didn't know what it was, Mm -hmm. that would just drive me crazy. I have talked with a few survivors who like, that's their like the case, they feel it in their body, but they have amnesia. They don't know what happened. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I feel so bad that you can't remember. It's like a secret living (laughs) in you that you can't find the answers to. Right. And the reason I say it's a blessing and a curse to be able to remember is because I am, 
I'm glad I'm not searching for that memory or the reason like I'm having a certain nightmare, certain trigger or something like that. But getting through, I think, like you said, walking, like actually living through it and being able, being able to remember has helped me cope with like the physical part of the abuse. The emotional part of it is a whole another ball game. And that's where I struggled the most was allowing myself to feel the emotions and feel like the pain, like that the emotions cause and accept that that was okay. Yeah. So going back to the abuse, these were people in your community. These were professionals. I know that you've got a list of profession kind of like who, I believe if I remember correctly, one was a physician. Yep. And was that your pediatrician specifically at the time or? Yes, it was my pediatrician growing up. Okay. So, you know, I'm sure everyone out there is listening, going, well, I know when I take my young child to the doctor, I've actually seen my doctor check my children's genitals. I'm not sure what they're looking for. I mean, maybe signs of abuse, right? I'm very aware of standing right there. It's a very quick Mm -hmm. in and out one touch, just probably making sure that nothing's sticking or stuck or any issues, whatever. Mm -hmm. So that most people would say, holy crap, how did your pediatrician not see this very violent, violent physical abuse to your genitalia as a young child? Mm -hmm. And he was part of it. Yep. He was part of it. And that's, I've gotten that question a lot recently was, well, how did nobody know like doctors and nurses? And it's because my pediatrician was a part of it. He was abusing me, but he was also who was fixing me up when I needed it. Wow. And so what is, what does that look like? What does that mean fixing you up and why Uh, would he need to fix you up outside of the fact that, you know, an adult human is larger than a child clearly there were some clients that were like, I mean, one specifically that comes to mind who was obsessed with like cutting me and raping me with knives. And after a few of those times with him, I needed stitches and my pediatrician would be the one to sew me up. And do you know, you had mentioned that some of these people were actually more or less on it, like a payroll, like he, your, your dad was actually paying some of these people to be quiet and keep this going, keep this whole operation going. Yeah, there were people, there was one incident where I had to be um, hospitalized and he paid, I remember him paying off like the hospital staff to keep their mouth shut and not report what was going on because you were in such dire straits. They had to bring you to the hospital. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for those that are listening to this and are like, this is cannot be real. Cause like when you, when you hear something like you paid off hospital employees, like someone had to have more, a moral compass. You took your dad to court. Yes. Like this is, this is a real, this is not, something that you're just talking about. This was a real thing. You took your father to court when you were, what was it? 17. We went to trial when I was 17. I was 15 when it, when I turned him in. And how did that, so how do you go from, you know, traveling around hotels, being abused on the daily in all sorts of States and places and by him and whatever to finally at 15 saying enough's enough. 
Well, when I was about 13, my dad asked my mom for a divorce and it was because he had found another woman he had begun a relationship with who had a really young daughter. And Mm. my, when my parents got divorced at 13 and my mom and I moved out, I was still having to go to my dad's house. And this woman was around. I don't think she knew at the time what was going on because she was never there when I was being abused, but I saw her daughter and she was uh, like three or four when I was 15. And I remember seeing like how my dad would look at her and was like, I can't let this happen to her. So I told someone at my high school who helped me call the police and things moved on from there. Had you ever told prior to that moment? No. Had anyone ever asked you prior to that moment, like a teacher? Like I interviewed another gal recently who was being abused and she said she was also abused with objects and, you know, it was getting infections and very uncomfortable, clearly. And she was going to the bathroom constantly and the teachers would like beg her to say like, what is going on? Why are you going to the bathroom every five minutes in class? Were you ever asked if anything was wrong based on behavior or whatever? I had one teacher in high school. She was actually student teaching in my Spanish class. Her name is Melissa. She, she knew something was wrong and I knew she knew something was wrong. Mm. And I know that just based on her, like her demeanor and her, she was so caring. She told me one time, she's like, Renee, I can tell you are exhausted. She's like, just take a nap. Mm -hmm. And she would tell me, she's like, you can tell me anything, but I didn't, I mean, I didn't. And she, I just don't think she knew like what to do because I mean, she was in her early twenties student. She was a kid too. She was a kid too. Now, did you have aunts and uncles were, and I know we're not talking names, but if you could just talk only for the sheer purpose of people to understand this isn't underground. These people aren't the boogeyman. We get, I was actually thinking of this yesterday. I was talking to myself, thinking about the, the idea that we like to make people that do bad things. We like to make them into this evil boogie monster because it makes us feel safe. Mm-hmm. Because the boogie monster is over there. Right. They're the bad guy that we don't hang out with. Mm-hmm. But just for it's this was your adoptive father. Mm-hmm. This was your pediatrician. What are some other, if you can remember, careers, if you will? Uh, there was a couple police officers, and I know that they were police officers because they would be in uniform when they would come over. There was a lawyer, a few lawyers. There were people from all walks of life. I mean, from like the grungiest, I mean, most homeless looking, disgusting human being to Your men pediatrician. or like, yeah, pe- doctors. And there would be some men like dressed up. Yeah. Businessmen in like nice suits and shoes and like very well off and wealthy. And your, your dad was charging for this. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. He was making money off of this. And one of the things I think that you had mentioned was that the women that were abusive were actually the worst. Yes, they were. 
they just had something about them. Like they're like, you could just tell their souls were dark. They were sadistic. They didn't care. Not that the men cared, but like you, most people expect like a woman to at least care a little bit. And they were, all of them were so angry. Like they would take out their anger on me. They were just awful. Yeah. It's, it's hard to put words to it. Like I can see it in my head, Yeah, but it's, it's hard to describe like the look on their faces. And I mean, they get, they had no care in the world. And what would the women, were they uh, primarily acting out in violent sexually or violent physically, meaning beating you or hitting you, cutting you, or was it always, did it always wrap around some sort of sexual act? both not always it wasn't always sexual there were some women who would just beat the shit out of me and then there were other women who would rape me with various items that they either brought with them or were in our room did you have a special place in your house that this would happen or did this happen in your bedroom it happened in my bedroom and in um our basement And then after my parents got divorced, the master bedroom in my dad stayed in the house that I grew up in. It would happen in the master bedroom. So at 12, you had figured out or your dad or someone figured out that you were pregnant. Mm -hmm. And when we figured this out, as you do, was the plan to deliver the baby? I was able to hide it from my dad for quite a while. I didn't start like looking pregnant until I was like seven, eight months. I just looked fat and made sure to wear like sweatshirts and stuff Mm -hmm. to cover me up, even though he was also abusing me. He, I mean, even prior to that, if it was just him, he usually wouldn't like take my shirt off. It would just be my bottoms. So it took, I think he just thought I was getting fat for a long time. And then he realized, I remember the day that he realized a client had finished with me and I stood up and I saw him, him being my dad, like, look at me. And it was like a light bulb went off in his head of, oh my God, like she's pregnant. And then he, he freaked out for a while, a couple of days. He freaked out. didn't know. I remember hearing him on the phone saying, you know, what am I going to do? I don't really know who he is talking to, but then he realized that he could make money, more money off of having a pregnant child for his clients. Cause there are those extra sick assholes out there who get off on raping pregnant children. So he used that to his advantage. And so the abuse never stopped. It might've even gotten worse. Who knows? And then did you carry that child to term I as far as you knew, right? I mean, you're 12. Uh, Knowing what I know now as a 30 something adult who has had children and I was around eight months, she was small when I had her, but I mean, she was fully developed and grown. I mean, I couldn't even guess how much she weighed, but she looked exactly like my oldest daughter now looked exactly like her. Mm -hmm. And so can you describe, I mean, clearly you didn't go to a normal hospital. You didn't have any care. Did any of your teachers ask about your weight gain or anything like that? I mean, 
So I had her in July, July 4th, actually. Wow. And I know that it was July 4th because fireworks. Mm-hmm. They, so school got out in May. So I had May, June, July where I was. Okay. Yeah. So they didn't, they didn't. So the bigger it. you got, you were out of school anyways. Mm-hmm. And do you want to, are you comfortable or able to talk about the day that you delivered? Sure. I was taken to a motel and tied up in the bathroom. By whom? By my dad. Okay. Just the two of you? Uh, no, he had clients in and out that day. For what purpose? They were raping me, beating me. While you were in labor? I, well, my dad's goal was to get me to have the baby. At that point, I wasn't in labor yet. Yeah, that was his, his goal was to do that or was to get me to have the baby. I remember hearing him tell the clients like their time with me would be free on that day if they could, or if I had the baby, if they, I don't remember exactly how he worded it, but it was along, along those lines. Like if they were the ones that got made this happen. Yeah. Uh, But it was two days of being consistently raped and beat before I was finally in labor. And then my dad, he kept getting angry. He would, he would leave and then come back and I hadn't had the baby. He would get angry. He started raping me with screwdrivers and just beating the shit out of me. Kicking, punching. Yeah. Kicking, punching. In the stomach or like all around your body? Both. Do you think he had an intention of, of killing the baby? Yeah. Yeah, I do. He, when I finally was like having her, when she was like starting to come out, he started like raping me with a screwdriver and it went through her, her body. And then he left. So he was not there when I delivered her alone. Yeah, I was alone. Which now I am very grateful that he wasn't there because I did get time. It was very short amount of time, but I did get time to hold her and look at her and take in every memory that I could of her, just what she looked like. And you named her? Yes, her name is Robin. And do you remember what happened after your time with her? Yeah, my um, dad came in. He saw that I had had her and was holding her and tried taking her from me and I wouldn't give her up. I would not hand her over to him. Um, He started punching me in the head, pushed me or threw me against the side of the bathtub, choked me and I ended up passing out. So when I woke up, um, I was still in the bathroom and she was gone. And I'm sure you had no, did you go to the pediatrician to have care for like after having a baby or do you remember anything, how that worked itself out? No, I didn't. Um, he, my dad kept me there until the next morning. Um, and then we went back home and he acted like nothing happened. And the abuse started again. Yep. Did they ever, I know this is going to be a weird question, but I'm just curious. Did they ever put you on birth control? So they never had to deal with that again? No. Um, I, after I had Robin 
every month, my dad would make me take a pregnancy test when they would come up positive. Um, he would make me have an abortion. And that was at a facility. No, it was at our house. Do you want to talk about, you said recently there's been some um, information that you've received with regard to this. Are you able to talk about that? All I can say is I, I never knew what happened to her body and I recently found out. And you're dealing with that. Yeah. So then you took your dad to, you, you, you told on him Mm -hmm. and then an investigation I'm sure started from there. Yep. And were you removed from the home at that time or would, did you stay with your mom from then on out? I was with my mom. Mm -hmm. And what did you, did you tell her what happened? Did you know she kind of knew what was going on? Like, how does that, I mean, how do you, how do you come to grips with living with or being around all of these people that know that they're hurting you? I knew, like I said, I knew that my mom was aware of some of what was going on inside our house when they were still married. Um, and we were all living under the same roof, but I always just kind of gave her the benefit of the doubt and gave her as much grace as I could, because I didn't know, you know, like what my dad was doing to her, like, was he abusing her? Was he, Mm -hmm. I know he was emotionally abusive to her just because I could hear him like yelling at her fights and stuff like that growing up, but I didn't know. I just kind of always assumed like, you know, she was stuck in it too. Like she didn't know how to get out. Um, but she was not a part of, uh, the court process. She basically refused to be a part of it. And I just want to be clear. Cause you're, I mean, you guys were not like your parents, your dad was a professional, right? I mean, that you guys weren't just like this awful, uneducated family. Who's like, you guys were like normal part of the suburban Omaha, Nebraska life. Like this yep. is happening in a normal suburban neighborhood that this is all going on. Um, So now he's going to court Mm -hmm. and you're in court. Mm -hmm. And what happens? We spent two years in and out of court before we went to trial. There were 11 jurors that thought he was guilty and one that didn't. So he got away with it. That juror... I later realized was one of his clients who was on the jury. Yep. And so he is out now. He's free. He is a person roaming society as we speak. Yep. He is. And you have since moved to another state. Yep. You have, and as you mentioned, you did get married and that was an abusive relationship, but you've since left that relationship as well. Yep. However, from that relationship, you have three beautiful children. I do. And you've only been divorced for about a year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you look at the healing process, were you able to heal at all during that time in the abusive relationship or has the last year been like kind of your healing place? Last, I would say, mm, Uh, Well, it'll be two years since I have been out of the marriage. Um, 
in November. Legally divorced though, yeah, a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but no contact in about two years. I would say the year before that was when I really first like started realizing how much I hadn't healed or done in much healing. I got to a place where I was like, you know what? I don't want my kids to live in this. Like I need to find a way to get out. Here we are three years later and at full custody of my kids and I'm in a different place. Yeah. yeah. And when you say, you know, you've been in therapy just so that people understand, I really want people to understand if someone gets a hold of this or is listening to this, who has been abused in some way, shape or form, doesn't matter what it is that there is another side to life. You can get there. There's a whole life waiting for you if you're willing to do the work, which this whole series is basically based on that. I mean, I've got people from all sorts of walks of abuse, right? What, what does that work look like? Is that once a week? Are you journaling? Are you doing everything known to mankind? Like, what does that kind of work look like? Oh, that's a great question. And it's going to be different for everybody. It's, For me, once I started being intentional about healing and, you know, facing the emotions and I mean, doing the work, it's, you know, processing your trauma. And a lot of it is, you know, you can go to therapy, you can go to therapy five days a week. If you, I mean, you could do that, but if you don't do the emotions, right. If you don't do the work outside of therapy, going to therapy isn't going to help. It's not enough. And it's like one thing my therapist um, taught me, because I really struggle still with allowing the emotions. One of the things she taught me was, you know, sit with it. And I used to hate that phrase. I used to hate that phrase with a passion. What does it mean? Like, it just allow the emotion. Like if you're feeling, you know, like overwhelmed or shame or guilt or what, whatever the feeling may be, like allow yourself to feel it. And the more you usually only lasts like 90 seconds, the feeling starts to dissipate. I did hear you talk about this on TikTok. So everyone knows I, cause I was telling my husband about you and he's like, where are you finding these people? <laughs> and I'm like, well, clearly I'm on either the right or the wrong side of TikTok. I'm not sure, but I'm finding these amazing women, these heroes. And it, it, it's, it, I, when you said that on TikTok, that was so powerful to me of not trying to stuff it down, but sit with the anger, sit with the fury, sit with the sadness, sit with it. Cause you could do that for 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. And when you said that on your TikTok, it just struck such a chord with me because as Americans, I'm sure other people will be listening to this from around the world actually, but as Americans, we want it faster, cheaper, quicker, you know what I mean? We want it gone. We want to always be happy. We never want to be depressed or anxious or sad. And so we'll literally do anything to keep us from those bad feelings. Mm-hmm. And when you articulated, just sit with it because it's going to pass in 90 seconds. It gave such an amazing um, awareness to it's going to go, it's going to pass. You know what I mean? It's going to pass. And the more, the more you sit with those feelings and allow them, the less distressing they become. So whether it's, you know, sadness or grief or 
even like even anxiety, I'll do that, do it sometimes if my anxiety is really bad, I'll identify what's causing it, sit with it, and then it starts to dissipate. It's a really powerful tool. And just knowing that, that it's only going to last for 90 seconds, I can do that. It's Mm -hmm. a great tool. And I mean, everyone clearly processes differently, but I just really, I really liked being able to see like, there's light at the end of the tunnel. This isn't going to last forever. Because I think that when we do get in our feelings, when we do get in our head, we do feel like this is going to last forever. And then, you know, you see people that like the panic attack first, it starts off as a little anxiety. And then you like, oh my God, I'm having anxiety. I'm having anxiety attack. And then it starts to grow and grow and grow. But if you kind of allow that first understanding, it's going to be 90 seconds or whatever, instead of making it grow legs, instead of making it worse and worse and worse. So I think that was really, really profound. Besides COVID, clearly, (laughs) um, how that getting into TikTok based on the fact that we have nothing to do, right? You decided to start sharing your story. Um, You do not show your face completely on your TikTok. So if anyone goes to her TikTok, you're still not going to see it there. She's not ready yet. But what's, how does sharing your story help you? When, so processing is kind of goes back to like processing trauma when letting like the truth of my story hit the air, like Mm. literally talking about it. I love that. It takes away its power. Like it's not, I don't have this like hold over me anymore. I used to feel like I couldn't talk about it. Like nobody's going to want to hear that. I mean, why would I talk about it? And now it's the second I, you know, talk about something like I let that my truth hit the air and share my story. It, I know that it's like a, helping other people too and educating people, which that in itself has been helpful in my healing journey. It makes, it makes me feel like because I survived, like this is part of my purpose. Mm -hmm. And you talked with your therapist about sharing your story and how it is important because you did survive. You are surviving every day with it. I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, you're as sick as your secrets, but that seems so in line with, like, I literally just saw you open your mouth to share a story. And like you said, my words hit the air. It's like that secret's not going to live inside of me anymore. No one can use that against me. I don't have to hide every day my truth. Secrets are heavy. Heavy. They are so heavy and... I mean, whether it's, you know, you have trauma from like sexual assault or domestic violence or whatever, it's heavy when you're carrying it by yourself. And I mean, part of the reason I share my story is I want survivors to know it's okay to talk about it. It's, you don't have to feel ashamed or hide behind it. And like you said, like healing is possible and being happy and experiencing joy is possible. And and I do feel, you know, as an outsider, it's so interesting being a complete outsider to this and you being you. And and I know that people aren't going to share because of shame. I know people aren't going to want to share because they don't want to be labeled or identified as an abuse survivor, victim, et cetera. 
but as being an outsider, and I know I'm a weirdo, but as being an outsider, I look at someone that is willing to share their story that has survived this, that is surviving on a daily basis, who is going on to have another life. If you are going through this and aren't sharing your story, please know as an outsider listening and hearing there to me is no greater um, hero than someone that is still on this side of the earth, you know, the right side of the earth, living through this and having a life, changing others' lives, sharing their story, and really knowing this was not my fault. I did not deserve this. I did not do this, but I'm still here. Please know we are not judging anyone. And if, if, if your words are hitting someone and you do feel judged, that's a them problem, not a you problem. Because there are people out here that really care a lot. And your, your story, um, your triumph is making a huge, huge difference. Huge difference. I mean, I, you've changed my life. Um, the people on this series have changed my life. Um, just by knowing that I don't, ha- I, I have secrets. I have things that I've been through. But you give me courage yeah, um, to share the things that I've been through and know that, you know, I'm not, I'm not those, I'm not any of those things. Those are just a part of my story. Right. Those are just a part of my story. And so because you're, let me ask you this, because your dad was taken to court, can he be taken to court again? I don't know. Cause a double jeopardy would have to be on a different, probably different charges. He can't be tried twice for those charges. And it's, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but it's also, um, I feel like it's really hard for people to understand why I don't try to pursue charges against him again. And the reason I don't is because it's not where I want to spend my energy. Gotcha. I want my energy put into my healing and my kids, um, and our future, not on the past. So, and I know that protect your peace. Yeah, exactly. Protect my peace. Protect your peace is huge. I mean, it is, you have to, and you have to, you can only put yourself in so many places at once. Mm -hmm. And so you're choosing to put your place with your three kids and heal yourself and have a positive experience for them. And you are, I'm starting to do a Survivors Anonymous Google Meetup. Yes. On Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yep. And people can find you on TikTok. And your um your username on TikTok is at survivors underscore anonymous. And there's a link to sign up. Um, on your TikTok bio. So link in bio, right? So get, find your link um, in bio on your survivors underscore anonymous on TikTok and then go sign up there. And is that going to, so a Google meetup, is that like a phone thing or is that like a Zoom thing? How does that work? It's so the link to sign up is a Calendly, I think it's called. Oh, Calendly link. link. Uh-huh. Yep. And then it will send a video or a link to like log into the video. Okay, cool. And then you also are at Survivors Anonymous, all one word, Survivors Mm -hmm. Anonymous 
2021 at gmail.com. If someone wants to reach out to you with regard to, you know, being on their podcast or what other opportunities, or, you know, if someone wants to reach out, I did have a gal on here, Melissa, and she had mentioned that she really didn't want anyone under the age of 18 to contact her, but that they are, that she would be able to send them to a, a, um, you know, like a government type place. She just didn't feel comfortable talking to kids under the age of 18. What is your thoughts on all of that? I'm open to any age, really. Okay. Uh, people can contact me if they want to, you know, share their story. Like I always feel honored when other mm-hmm. survivors share their story with me because I know how hard it is, but I'm open to any okay. age. So, and you're, and if anyone wants to find you and, and hear more of your story, pieces, parts of your story, because, you know, like as soon as I came on today before we hit record, I'm like, wow, you've, I could tell you've really had a, a rough couple of weeks. So it really allows your viewers, your followers to kind of follow along because this is every day. This is not, oh, she's on a podcast and tomorrow she's going to be fine. I know when I do these podcasts, I feel like I need a cigarette and three martinis when I'm done with them. They're very overwhelming um, <laughs> or a walk or something. So like this is every single day that you wake up and heal, you wake up and heal, you wake mm-hmm. up and have a hard day and you share, you're sharing that journey on TikTok with your followers, yeah. um, which I think is huge. Yeah, I try to be transparent. I mean, I do, um, back when I first started my, the TikTok account, I had did a poll on what people wanted me to, uh, talk about. And yeah. the majority of people were like, I want to hear what you went through. And Isn't I have that no amazing. problem. Yeah. yeah. I have no problem like sharing that, but I do also try to share like my healing journey and, you know, not every day is rainbows and unicorns. So yeah. it's, some days are very, very taxing on me emotionally. So very heavy days. Yeah. Well, I just appreciate you so much. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to go too deep into what actually happened to you because yeah. we have to keep this. I hopefully like a lot of listeners can listen and not be too completely blown away. Okay. But at the same time, I think people do need to realize that this stuff is real. Mm-hmm. Um, this stuff is happening. This stuff is happening next door to your house. Really quick, just as I say that, is there something or a few things that you can share that someone should have been looking for and done something? Was there a behavior or, I mean, the fact that people are coming in your house all day long, like drug dealers, I mean, that should have been a red flag, but your behavior, is there something that we should be looking for in our, in our friends of our children students in our classroom so hard to answer because looking at me like you wouldn't have known what was going on there's no way my teachers or my neighbors like could have known like oh I see this one thing so this is happening in that house I mean there's the signs that you know we're all taught of, you know, you see a kid who's like not wearing clothes for the right season or has bruises or, um, looks like they haven't slept in days. Like, of course those things, but I mean, I think more of it, I look at it more of a, like how to prevent it type thing is by like teaching your kids, you know, 
the appropriate names for their body parts to, you know, body autonomy. It's okay to say no, like that you don't keep secrets. Um, even if it's like your parent saying, Oh, keep the secret. Like if it doesn't feel good, say something. Yeah. Tell somebody. And if anyone's out there listening and you are dealing with something like this, we know it's scary. We know it's overwhelming. We know you've been threatened that, you know, physical harm. A lot of kids are threatened. If you tell, we'll kill you, we'll kill your family. We'll kill all your friends. Tell anyways. Well, Renee, thank you so very much for being here. I cannot thank you enough for sharing your story with me and with my listeners and viewers. And thank you for being on TikTok and sharing your story and being so brave and Thank you for healing. Thank you for just being on this planet for your your kids and for all of us. And I look forward to you writing a book today. <laughs> yes. I, I think that you would be an amazing story to help people. But thank thanks. You. Yeah, I'll see you on TikTok, my dear. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect on a more personal level, head over to MeredithWillits.com we're on Instagram at Meredith with a Y for behind the scene footage and outtakes. Please subscribe and come back each week for more Meredith with a Y. Thanks again for listening. Cheers. Cheers.